uh, Christopher. Sure, yeah. Um, I think what I'd like to do is just pick up a few of those threads that were talked about and discussed over the last sort of 20 minutes or so. Um, just quickly a brief bit of background to what we do as a business. Um, so Bbox is a designer, manufacturer, distributor, and, and financer of solar systems in the off-grid world. Um, so that's Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, Asia as well. Um, we've been going about five and a half years. We've got around 50,000 products deployed around the world. Um, I must preface this by saying that we're not uh, working massively in camps. Some of our, and with refugee centers, some of our partners do do that uh, around the world, but our, our experience of doing that is limited. So I think what I'd like to share a little bit today is, is, is how our experience over the last five years of, of beginning a business uh, in this sector and some of the challenges that we've seen, some of them have already been mentioned, and just talk a little bit about some of the things that we're trying to do to, uh, to solve those. Um, so we started off um, distributing around four and a half, five years ago our products in, in Rwanda. We, we quickly scaled up our, our product range and started to distribute our products through third-party partners around the world, everywhere from Colombia through to the Philippines and everywhere in the middle. Um, and what we saw was, was three main challenges during that period. Um, and these, these have been mentioned already, or most of them. Uh, the first one was around uh, the financial affordability of these products. You're typically talking about a, a solar system with four or five lights, a radio, phone charging equipment. Uh, and this is costing retail price for an end customer around $150, $300 occasionally. Um, and that's, that's a, a large chunk of money which they just don't usually have. So there's, there's, there's one big barrier there. Our customers that we're trying to target don't have the cash. So as, as a for-profit business, that's a pretty, pretty fundamental one. Um, the second one was around the, the longevity of the products and the maintenance. Um, so these, these systems are working in some pretty tough environments usually. Um, you have elements of these systems which struggle to adapt or survive in, 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 in certain conditions, particularly around the battery and the battery lifespan in an off-grid solar system is, is one of the, the fundamental problems there. Um, and then the final point that we, we came up with, we, we saw quite often through our work in the first couple of years of our business was is it the accessibility of the products? Uh, physically getting one of these systems to our customers is, is a massive challenge. They are in very remote areas often, um, and, and distribution networks involved were limited. So three main challenges there, which for a for-profit business would have seemed to have scuppered our model pretty quickly. So, so one of the things we one of the things we did back in 2012-13 was start the development of a new business model that we, we, we worked on. Uh, and that was coupled with a new uh, product that we brought to the market. Um, so what we, we looked at doing was, was opening our own retail distribution networks in East Africa. And we focused on Kenya, Uganda and Rwanda. And uh, we have around 40 shops in those three countries. Um, one of the things we did on the product side, I know Ben will be talking a bit about the products and some innovations there. And one thing we, we added to this system um, back in 2012-13 was this ability to monitor all of these little boxes remotely. Um, so they've all got a small, essentially a small mobile phone inside them, sending back data on a regular basis about how they're being used. Um, that allows us to see if there are any issues with the product. Um, it allows us to, to send one of our technicians from our local store to go and repair or replace a, a particular component. And that's something that you can do to help, um, help build customer confidence in the product, but also support it over quite a long period. And that leads into the third and final point, which is around the financial affordability for the, for the customer. 
Most of our customers that we're targeting are paying at the moment or they're spending on energy around eight to 14, $15 a month on candles, batteries, kerosene, mobile phone recharging. Um, and that's what we tried to do is essentially build a, a financing plan for them which matches their existing expenditure. So we, we typically price our plans around two to four dollars per week uh, that they're spending on, uh, they're paying us. Um, you you mentioned some of the, the ways that that's um, changing, some of the methods for collecting cash that changed over the last four or five years. Um, so all our payments in, mostly in Ken, most, all of our payments in Kenya, 90% of our payments in Rwanda go through uh, mobile money systems, um, so collecting small amounts of cash on a regular basis. Um, and that's, that's really allowed us to reduce cash from our supply chain, um, improve the cash collection as a business, reducing risk of theft and fraud throughout the chain, and gives, gives very fast access into our systems and real-time reporting about how our customers are, are paying. And so that's, that really allows us to, uh, and to do that, we fit to, to pay from two to four dollars a month. Our customers are purchasing a product over a three year period. Um, so we're supporting them over that three year period. Um, if, if, some, if a customer, if a, if a product breaks at any stage, uh, we're quickly incentivized to go and replace or repair part of that system because otherwise the customer will very quickly stop paying us. Um, if they don't pay for whatever reason, if they do have issues um, with payments, um, we have this ability to, to cut the system off remotely and prevent them from using the system, lock the system down, or able to geolocate where it is. Um, so if necessary, go and repossess the system. And so this is some of the technology innovations that we've been putting in place. Uh, again, this is focused on, on off-grid solar home systems. We've done limited work with this model in, in refugee camps, but similar things could, be, could equally be applied there. Um, and I guess where we're, where we're trying to go in terms of a business and what we're trying to do is, is really build and scale up that model within East Africa. Um, we've, we've got, as I said, about 120 staff full-time in East Africa and 170 in our business um, on just operating around 40 shops. And, and really scaling up that model, we're in very, very limited areas of, of East Africa. We're in Western Kenya, uh, Western Uganda and Northern Rwanda, so very, very sort of geographically focused areas. And building out from that over the next uh, the next uh, two or three years, uh, covering East Africa more, more generally, uh, hoping to open up to around 250 shops by the beginning of 2017 is our, our target. Um, there's many challenges along the way. Um, funding and financing products over a three-year period to a customer is very expensive. Um, as a business operating in these certain parts of the world, access to capital to do that is... Uh, is a challenge. Um, some very nice people, often based in the US, who, are, who occasionally give us cash to go and do this. Um, and with that's becoming a, uh, a much more important part of our, our structure is, is building financing plans to make sure that we can offer commercial investors, and these people are looking at commercial rates of return, they're not giving us free money, um, uh, ways of getting that cash back. Some of the things we're putting in place on the technology side, around monitoring and managing these systems and the payments, gives confidence to these investors that they will get their cash back at some stage. So this is an important part of it. And I mentioned already the, the information and visibility of information for the people in this sector and the collection of data. And so that's, that's one of our main challenges really. I think um, it's probably about my, my five minutes up. I think there's plenty more I can say on, on, on this, but um, I'll Why don't we, I'm sure there'll be questions. Uh, I hope there'll be questions. So thank you. We've got about 20 minutes now, I think. Maybe a little bit more. Um, and why don't we take some questions and then go for it.
Hello, um, my name is Charlotte from the University of Nottingham. Um, I'm very, very interested about the Moving Energy Initiative. Um, and so I'd like to perhaps make a comment and perhaps take some clarity from, from the team because um, Ben, you, you've been talking about markets, private sector, organisational structure, and I think that's very important, especially looking at long-term sustainability and adapt um, adoption. Um, but one crucial thing that has been missed, I think, is one, awareness, demand, and acceptability of the technology. And one of the reasons why energy projects, not just in the humanitarian sector, the development sector, fail is because they repeatedly fail to understand energy's requirements and the social cultural realities of what they cook with um, and why. Um, I know, obviously, um, Chris, Chris yep. so you were saying that you tried with the financing, the microfinance options, you were looking to look at payments over what you know they would spend a month however solar is just going to be used for electricity so if you think of what we used to cook with they'll be using multiple stove stacking or they'll be using multiple types of technology so they'll be paying for firewood or charcoal as well as the solar so those cuts keep creeping up um, so i was just wondering if maybe perhaps seek some clarification on the way that's looking at the user perspective in the project and then just a general comment about non-camp setting um, about the terminology and use of host and refugee. Um, in a camp-based setting, I think it's very easy to differentiate and relate to the host community. But in a non-camp setting, most of, a lot of these refugees are hiding from formal channels because they are deprived basic rights. So then in order to go and target refugee communities outside of a camp-based setting is very, it can be quite dangerous. Um, and so I think that, there we go, the potential for innovative solutions with development these cooking practices are going to be exactly the same as the host community as the community, so they need to go side by side rather than differentiating between both host and refugee because that just causes a whole bunch of problems. Yeah, Thank just you. That bit, just, just, Unless just, we want to take a whole bunch yeah, of questions. Yeah, Do we want to take any other questions at this point? No, I've got just two comments. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I think one of the neglected areas in energy is agroforestry. And agroforestry. Yeah, we see in Naki Valley that they've actually put in a lot of plantations. And, you know, often there's a number of reasons why uh, people don't invest in fast growing tree species. Uh, but all the reasons that people use, you know, to, uh, to counter it, you know, we can question them and, and change the perspective. One of the problems often is host communities and local governments don't want it. But when we go and tell them, well, it's you that's really going to benefit from it, you know, 30 years down the line then they see it as a different option and they realize that it's a potential. Uh, and the other thing was that the ecology of deforestation, especially in, in Didab, when you fly over Didab camp, it's amazing how green it actually is. And it's all uh, Prosumphus eulifloria, which is an invasive uh, tree, which thrives in the refugee environment because of the deforestation and the seeds being brought in, especially with goats and camels that carry the seed. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge problem, but it's one of the best trees for charcoal. Yet the charcoal makers don't use it uh, because they're more familiar with the acacias. They don't like the thorns on the tree, which cause you an irritant when you get <coughs> scratched. However, in the US, it produces very good mesquite charcoal. And when you have a cash for work program on, on Prosophis, which we did in Mogadishu, it, can, you know, it works really well. You set it up through a, a cash for work, and once you start generating revenue, uh, through the sales that it can, can you know, self uh, <coughs> if you like. But the whole Prosophis issue in the Horn of Africa, and it's the same in Northern Kenya. What's it called again? Prosophis Eulifloria. It's covered Somalia now, 
uh, due to the civil war and the fact you know there's been insufficient land management in the last two decades it is arguably it's the greatest risk that faces the horn of africa and only now are we really starting to understand you know the uh, extent of it and the deforestation al shabaab you know al shabaab did to fuel their conflict uh, you know that's the whole that's allowed the tree to spread even further yeah so i'll, I'll stop there anyway mm. Mm. great